Hello, hello, welcome back. This is season two, episode number one of the Indie Game X podcast. My name is Richard, and this week we're going to be talking to an indie game publisher. So if you are an indie developer and you have questions about do you need a publisher, what does a publisher actually do, and all that stuff, really, then this is the episode for you. We had Joe and Andy from Top Hat Studios join us in which is, I think, a really revealing episode. I think you're going to get loads out of this. And hopefully we've covered all of the major questions that you may have been asking yourself about about publishers. You know me, I don't like to waffle on too much, believe it or not. So we'll do all the admin stuff after the episode because this is quite a long episode. So I hope you really enjoy it. So let's jump straight into it and I'll speak to you after. Okay, so welcome to the show. And why don't you both just start with introducing yourselves? Yeah, so hello to everybody listening. I am Andy Andy Han. I'm the executive producer at Top Hat Studios. Um, there is some amusing trivia behind my name, and if you're all very nice listeners, maybe I will tell you that at the end. Uh, my name is Joseph. I'm the owner and the uh, lead software engineer at Top Hat Studios. Tell us about your company. Let's start there. Tell us about Top Hat Studios. What do, what do you do? Uh, Top Hat Studios originally started as like, um, like an indie game uh, developer itself. Uh, like we have a couple of games ourselves under our belt. But also we used to provide a lot of like technical support or like outsourced programming work, especially with regard to porting games to other developers. And so like over time, uh, because we had a lot of experience with providing like technical assistance, programming, and especially porting expertise, uh, we basically decided to just basically transform that into a publishing business. There's a lot involved in publishing games and being able to release games on console natively without having to rely on like um, outsourcing work ourselves because we can do it internally was quite a valuable thing. Yeah, being able to do that, we pivoted towards publishing and since then we've seen uh, quite a lot of growth. We've made a lot of really good relationships with like... Uh, developers and indie game communities where we're publishing games and overall yeah uh, it's it's been quite an interesting journey and for us in particular been a fairly interesting experience because we do actually come from that like indie game or like grassroots developer background like um you know unlike most publishers in the business we're not essentially like an equity firm or a shareholders firm like uh, the company is completely employee owned but that's very distinguishing from us and it means we work in ways that are much more developer friendly or at least we'd like to think so than like the majority of the business does yeah i was just gonna add on that um one reason that we initially got started was because a lot of our initial jobs with contract work began in Southeast Asia and in regions like that, that at the time didn't have a lot of access to um, the same publishing tools for distribution, storefronts, et cetera, um, as Western developers. So we initially got our start in doing actual publishing for games by working with developers in those regions and bringing their games into essentially into Western markets. 
um, at the same time, that eventually led us into getting partners in the US and Europe just by people who were impressed with our work or people who made similar types of games, but just happened to be from these regions. And prior, um, especially on my end, I had worked with publishers, you know, in various parts of the field. Um, and I had a, more of a business background on top of my, you know, like programming background. Um, and one thing which was really big to me was when I was a, just a developer, um, I was so disappointed with large parts of the field. Okay, cool. Well, nice to meet you guys. Thank you for coming on the show. So the main reason I wanted to get you get you on the show is because I have a lot of questions and comments from the developers that I speak to that they're really not sure about what role a publisher plays in the whole development process, um, what they should do about contacting publishers, do they need one, all those kind of questions. Pretty pretty basic stuff, but it seems to be that there's a lot of confusion around what a publisher does and, and how they can help a developer. So I thought it'd be a perfect time to start season two off uh, by speaking to you guys. Yeah, and, you know, we're happy to talk about it. And, uh, yeah, it's understandable that in indie games, you know, the whole thing is just so so distributed. It's so kind of random as well. Like, there's no entire paradigm of how things are done. And, you know, that, that has its benefits and also its downsides. So it's good to be able to come somewhere to collect thoughts about that and maybe talk about, uh, you know, just how the process works and maybe what people should look out for. Yeah, because I think a lot of, because a lot of developers are first-time developers. That is the whole you know, indie scene, isn't it? There's a lot of it's their first game uh, people out there. And where, you know, where do you go to find this stuff out? Yeah, they're already learning how to develop a game and what marketing they need to do. And, you know, thinking about publisher is probably way down the list. Yeah, yeah. you know, the, uh, the unfortunate truth there is that, well, you can find guides online. Like I know, you know, in, in the past, maybe five or six years ago, people would find tutorials on like Pixel Prospector or like TigSource forums. But as much as you can read online or on Twitter, um, you know, the same way when it comes to like running a restaurant or making a movie, how you won't really know what it's like until you do it. Fortunately, the same logic does apply a little bit to indie games where you could do everything right with making a game for the first time. Um, but from the business side of things, it's just impossible to know ahead of time what the full layout of development cycles, of publishing, um, of the business aspect of things, et cetera, um, is in full of really until you, you know, either make a game or until you get in contact uh, with a publisher who can, you know, guide you through those things. Um, and largely we found that when it does come to first time developers or, you know, sometimes even second time or third time developers, um, who are just looking for that similar comparison of experience. Um, that can be what a publisher does. And in some cases, I mean, if Andy wants to take this and jump off a bit, um, this can be sometimes what a publisher offers. I mean, it's certainly in part what we do with live developers that we work with. So uh, to jump off that point, one important thing I'd mention is that a lot of developers often come into things not having much awareness 
or knowing what's really standard in like publishing deals, which can, and it often does lead them to getting exploited or just taken advantage of. Like uh, indie games are great because they're so distributed and decentralized, but the flip side to that is there's not really anything like like the way to do things, like an overall universal standard paradigm on how things are done. And like things that you might think are common knowledge don't filter through the entire community. Uh, for example, like in the past, it's happened several times where we'll talk to a developer about like working together on publishing their game and porting it to consoles. And well, you, know, you, you can talk to pretty much any developer we do work with about this. And, you know, they say to us and quite often in public that they appreciate how developer centric and developer friendly our contracts or the way we work are like um, we never charge recruitable, uh, recruitable. Oh, my God, I can't say that word. Against expenses such as marketing or the cost of porting. Uh, we never take collateral or security on a project. We never take any ownership or control of intellectual property or copyrights or trademarks. And mm -hmm. like, if we invest in a project, we also don't charge like a 200 to 300% recruitable amount with accruing interest on an advance. Like, like a lot of that stuff is standard in publishing, but we don't do it because we don't think it's right because, uh, you know, our own company started as basically an indie developer. So it, it is unfortunately quite common when it comes to like mainstream double A or indie publishing. And it all depends on how aware a developer is to know what's considered acceptable or standard or what's a good deal, especially if they're working on their first game or first deal. But on... You know, several occasions, you know, we, we've discussed things like that with a developer who, who then turns around and is like, oh, are you guys like scamming me or ripping me off? And they get really angry when we try to give them this genuine advice on things like one, one or two times, actually so angry. We find out through mutual developer contacts that they're kind of trash talking us a bit behind our backs. Like a year later, the, the, the same guy will come back and say that they went to talk to other publishers who wanted to take like a 50% royalty cut. Other publishers wanted intellectual property ownership. They wanted a collateral. Things that we don't do ourselves. And they say, given that, they're like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm really sorry how I cut things off before, but I'd be interested in working now. And... You know, when that happens, we have to respond a bit like, well, we, we did kind of warn a bit about all of that stuff. And it's sad to hear about that happening because, yeah, it's as I said before, it's all about how aware or how experienced one is in knowing what kind of deals typically transpire. Because if you don't have that kind of experience, it's very hard to know, like, when somebody is playing games or like or if someone is offering a genuinely good deal yeah i mean one thing that i'll say is that there's two sides of you know any creative industry you can apply this to music 
we can apply this to film and it certainly applies to games. Um, you have the side of the industry, which is creative and you have the side of the industry, which is uh, business. And there's an equilibrium of those two, which if you participate in the industry, you unfortunately just are subject to dealing with that equilibrium. Um, some people come in and they have the experience, you know, because maybe they just worked in a business atmosphere um, to where they have some knowledge of, you know, dealing with typical business stuff, whether it be balancing expenses, you know, uh, dealing with contracts, working with banks, etc. Um, and some people come in from more creative hobbyist backgrounds. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. I mean, we definitely encourage that even for people who are hobbyists to elevate their own art into um, a career. I mean, certainly myself, certainly Andy, we come from those backgrounds as well. Um, it's just that in some cases, when you do come from those backgrounds, it can be very hard to distinguish what's legitimate and what isn't legitimate. And you don't hear about it as much. And I think this is in part because the industry is simultaneously decentralized and centralized because the, the indie scene is very decentralized um, in terms of, you know, the developers that work in it, in terms of uh, how deals are made. Um, but it's, at the same time, the wider industry is very centralized because, you know, if you look at AAA games, there's only a certain set of stores all AAAs sell on. There's only so many game publishers in terms of, like, platforms. So, like, you know, there's only three major consoles. And then, you know, it gets a little bit more complicated with stuff like like uh like amazon's luna or like google stadia but there's not like more consoles so it, it, it is centralized in in that regard and one unfortunate aspect of that is it's almost decentralized and centralized in inverse ways so information travels in terms of rumors or in terms of games but it doesn't travel as much in terms of business norms. Um, and the unfortunate result of this is that if you start out in the industry, you're more likely to be surrounded by other people who also don't want to do business as opposed to people who have a history of doing business. And similar to, say, the music industry, um, where it's very infamous, you know, with record, you know, record label accounting or the infamous term like Hollywood accounting, uh, the, the gaming industry is an entertainment industry. And because of that, a lot of those things, unfortunately, apply here, too. And a lot of companies specifically look for developers to throw these things onto, um, knowing what their backgrounds are. And the real division, you know, as, as we found, both working in the industry for so long, um, is the division between corporate and, like, organic backgrounds. And we can get, get into this a little bit later, uh, not to jump into too much of a tangent now, but people from corporate backgrounds deal primarily with money. Um, and... Money is obviously important in the industry because 
that's how you know you pay your contractors it's how you pay your bills it's how you keep your studio going but money at the same time isn't just something to be thrown around like it is in say a venture capital firm from silicon valley there are some studios which are you know structured in highly specific manners that thrive on investment money that means that they sell equity in their company they get the investment and then they work off of that investment uh, similar to how in the music industry there are some artists that take large advances from labels and it works out for them but there's also for every one of those there's like 10 or 20 who take these large advances and don't really realize the terms behind what an advance or what an investment or even like what the term equity or what these things imply. And because of this, it means they might not be structured in the right way. Maybe they just don't understand what it implies. You know, sometimes it's not even necessarily that the company is hostile, so to speak, or taking advantage of a developer. Sometimes it just genuinely is that the relationship isn't structured in a way where the developer can know from not having that past experience um, that they're getting put in a bad position. And unfortunately, in something like the game industry, that can just cause people to leave the industry if they have one bad deal um, or if they have one sour experience like that. Um, when we came in the industry, um, a large part of what we were focused on was helping developers on an organic level, which was outside of the norm of what we saw a lot of publishers doing. And we increasingly saw publishers drifting more towards what was found in other industries. And to a level, I'll say it's understandable. Not that we could ever endorse that behavior, but because the functions of a publisher, in our opinion, have changed. But many of the companies who are publishing have not. So because of that, companies have had to largely find new models as their old models became antiquated, but they're still dealing with the same influx of capital to try to keep themselves running. And unfortunately, that sometimes leads them into doing more exploitative business tactics because they have to keep that same amount of money in rotation. Um, you know, back 10 years ago, the function of a publisher was to basically get your game onto Steam because it was so hard to get your game onto Steam. It was so hard to get your game onto third-party platforms. And today, some of that is becoming easier. Like, it's easier to get onto Steam. It's easier to get on to, say, like GOG. It's easier to get on to Humble than it was however many years ago. So that distribution side has somewhat been antiquated. But what hasn't been antiquated is how a game actually performs on those platforms. And that doesn't just include marketing, although marketing is off, often the word which is thrown around for that. Um, it also includes things like community management, like SEO, which is search engine optimization, knowing how to correctly tag your games, knowing what categories to put it in, 
the correct management of the actual community, mailing lists, uh, social media. And this is a lot of stuff if you're a small team to, to do, to not just coordinate marketing, things like press, advertising, but also actually manage the intricacies of the game's metadata on, on these websites, you know, coordinate its distribution on maybe 30 plus websites, some of which are bigger than others, keep the patches up to date on all of these sites at the same time. And this is just PC. So this is what people consider like the easy platform. Uh, this hasn't even gone into what it then involves to get with on console. Um, and some publishers, you know, like us, have been focused on essentially filling in the gaps for developers, especially, I don't, I don't want to say developers that are um, newer, because that's certainly not true. We certainly work with veteran developers well, but developers who their needs aren't just fixed by throwing money at them which is an unfortunate thing that we've seen a lot of other publishers do. We try to fix things by genuinely providing solutions for these developers on a personal level. Like we genuinely keep in close human contact with every developer that we work with, talking to them on a regular basis, reviewing their needs, seeing what each next step we can do for them is. It's like a mixture of, not just providing services like localization, marketing. Uh, as Andy mentioned, we do the porting and uh, certification process on consoles as well. But it's also like true business development in the um, ultimate sense of the word. It, it very much is us taking those responsibilities for a developer in whatever they, they themselves need help with and providing those services to elevate the ability of their game to succeed. And obviously, sometimes that does involve money like, or funding. But if it does, then we're very transparent about how that stuff works. You know, Maybe in some cases, they think they need funding. But after discussing things and you know, the pre-established basis to that is they know that we're genuinely trying to help them. Um, sometimes they find out after a discussion that it doesn't involve money after all, that maybe they just thought it did and they could actually solve it in an even better way. Um, so yeah, I kind of ranted there for a little bit. No, so. no, that's great. Well, I, I didn't want to interrupt because you've covered quite, don't, don't spill my tea. That's a priority. Um, you've covered a lot of the base questions I wanted to ask you. Um, but what, what I thought I'd do is a little bit of role play. And I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna go from the fact that let's just say I am a brand new developer, and I am creating a game today. I've started today. At which point should a publisher be on my mind? That's a very good question, and the answer again kind of has to be when it comes to indie games. There's not really a thing such as one size fits all. Uh, it's all a matter of weighing up options and what the trade-offs are against that, because this is kind of a jumping-off point to the last thing Joe said as well, that I actually wanted to add to, because I think the one thing that comes up most commonly in the mind of uh, developers, especially newer developers, is that like when 
thought of a publisher comes in, the number one concern there is in most cases like huge amounts of money or huge advances. But as Joe said, like not every problem in fact I would say most problems that are involved with making a game successful can't be solved by just throwing money at it. Because like well, I mean, before I say the next thing, I will say most publishers will just be happy to throw money at it because it means they're getting extra expenses or debt to leverage against the developer. And it, it's kind of a little bit of a secret kept, but a lot of the profitability most publishers will make on a project, it's not the actual royalty or revenue stream, but it's how they can leverage that amount of debt or expenses that the developer accrues in the development. And that turns into what the profit is on the project, not the actual sales. Right. And so, I mean, I'll just say quickly um, that we're not saying every publisher is, is like this before we start getting hate mail from uh, <laughs> other publishers. <laughs> because there are definitely other publishers that, you know, out there who correctly do things, who are ethical. However, we're also not going to say that these people don't exist and do not actively attempt to take advantage of developers in very open spaces. So just want to re reiterate that just quickly so it doesn't yeah. get lost. But as a developer, how would, how would I know any of this goes on? Like, how, what, obviously all publishers are not created equal. In, which is the same in any industry, whether it's you know music, any anything at all. There's always, I don't say good and bad guys, but you know there's always a sliding scale of of quality, and you know the publishing game is is going to be the same. But if I'm just starting my game and I think, do you know what, I, I think I, might, I need to speak to a publisher to find out what I need to do. You know, how do I know? What should I be looking for? It, I mean, I've even heard that there's a bit of a an industry blacklist of publishers. Um, but again, as a new developer, I, I wouldn't know that. So, yeah, how the hell do I start? So, I'd say that this is where the first thing I was saying about business being a part of the equilibrium of development makes a very big deal. If you're a new developer, the first thing that you should ask yourself before you do anything is am i a business or am i an, an artist you can be both and i'm not trying to say that there isn't an overlap there however if you're an artist in the truest sense and you don't want to make money or you're okay with whatever money your art brings because you're more dedicated to the art than the money you definitely do not need a publisher um in 95% of scenarios, because if you don't care about the profitability, you're only in it, you know, for, for the true art of the game, you know, the fun of it, the hobbyist aspect of making games like game jams and stuff like that, you, tr you probably genuinely do not need a publisher. And it is possible to make good money doing that as well. If, you know, for people who have done that, but it's not as common. If you're a business, unfortunately, I don't, you know, I hate sounding corporate because I really don't like 
corporate think. It's one of the things our company, ironically, was formed to basically to fight against. Um, but if you do it and you want to make it a career, or you know you're trying to make it a form of income, you do have to think like a business, and that means a you have to have a plan, and you have to leverage that plan into expectations. And expectations can differ on a per game basis. You have to remember, firstly, that you have a product and you have to gauge what you're looking to do with that product. You know, are you looking to be the next Undertale? Are you looking to be the next Gary's Mod? You know, or are you just trying to make a good amount of money doing what you love and get it to the most amount of people possible and make that sustainable? And what we find is a lot of times, as we were mentioning, because they're so centralized in terms of where media comes from, um, expectations can be unrealistic that like, A, every game is posed to be a multi-million dollar success, or B, that being with a publisher inherently makes your game a billion dollar success and it's going to be the next undertale because you know some corporate guy said so um and sometimes you know sometimes it does to to these people's credit uh, sometimes that does turn out that way but when you manage expectations one thing that's important is think of a vague first year sales goal and don't use data when doing that from that I would say is optim, the quote unquote optimistic. Like, don't be going to the biggest games and then being like, okay, well, their game sold like this, so my game is similar and it will too. Look at like the median of data for smaller or medium games, and then be like, I want to replicate this, and then think realistically what resources you need to replicate that, and think about it proportional to the basis of your game itself you know if you want to make a 300 hour like epic in full 3d like the witcher 3 there's a set budget to that which is very different from trying to make a five hour puzzle platformer and it's not it has nothing to do with the value of the games versus each other because the puzzle platformer can be far better than a game like you know, that, that 300-hour 3D epic. However, in terms of resources and in terms of who you're going to to publish those products or even distribute those products, um, that's where the difference comes in. And it's a little bit hard because sometimes it really does come down to how well can you gauge these things. And... I don't want to be pessimistic, but it is hard, to be honest, if you are a first-time developer without these experiences, to have a solid, concrete answer besides be smart um, and be educated in these backgrounds. Like, if someone says something like, I'm, like, I'm going to file a lien, but, but, you know, it's fine look up what, what a lien is, right? Look up what a security is. Look up what these terms and contracts mean. You know, be smart and pass the contract to a lawyer. 
uh, read up on what these norms are even outside the game industry. Because if there are certain norms that don't exist in any other business, but some guy is like knocking on your door and your DMs saying, oh no, actually this is normal just in this industry, so it's fine. Chances are it's probably not normal at all. Um, it goes the same with advances. Like if someone said they were going to lend you money for a restaurant, but you had to pay it back at a four times rate, you know, even banks don't do that. So why would you want to do that with a publisher unless you desperately needed that money? Yeah. Um, are, there, are there some obvious questions that you can ask? Is there some, you know, something that a developer can say, you know, hello, Mr. Publisher or Mrs. Publisher, and ask us, is there a couple of questions that he, they should be able to get an answer to that, that wouldn't raise any flags or is there some red flags that they should be thinking, hang on a minute, that they, they don't sound right? I, I mean, think... yeah, like, like the first thing, as Joe mentioned, if a publisher mentions issuing a lien against you, and that's spelled L-I-E-N, um, that should immediately be obvious, the kind of exploiting you a bit, because there's no, I don't really see a reason why a publisher would be that interested right from the get-go in basically issuing a formal notice of interest against your assets. Um, yeah. The second thing I would mention, and this is related to the thing I was trying to say before, but I got a little bit cut off by, um, it's related to the problem of just trying to solve things with money, because there's some things that can't. Like, the large problem, I would say, and it's often combined into when people talk about marketing, and it's understandable why, because it's very similar. The significant problem now, I think, is selection and curation, which is overwhelmingly what a publisher should be doing. And what I mean by that is, and this also links into the part that Joe said about being aware of what's normal or what's standard and not trying to base assumptions on things that are outliers. If I think off the top of my head, I believe the average number of new games releasing on Steam, so one single platform, the average number of new games releasing on Steam each week, I think is about 200, or it might be 300. Either way, it's quite a significant number. So you've got several hundred new games releasing on Steam every week, and I believe the average value that a game on Steam sells is about $2,500 a year. And on Steam, something like 95% of the revenue is earned by the top 3% of games. So that is very important to think about when you're thinking about how you want to get your game in front of people. Like when, when you're in a saturated marketplace like that, there's very intense competition and you have to give serious thought to how your game is getting curated. And part of that is, this is where it directly comes to the problem that can't just be solved by throwing money at it. Because obviously every other person who wants their game to do well on Steam is advertising it, buying ads on Twitter or Facebook or placing YouTube adverts, things like that. The thing that can't be solved with money and is one of the greatest added value things a publisher can provide is direct liaison and business development contacts 
at stores like uh, or companies like Valve or GOG or like with Sony on the PlayStation Store or at the Nintendo eShop, it's direct liaisons with contacts there to arrange for favored placement of your game on the store. So arranging for things like your game to be featured on the top banner on Steam, to be getting special placement in things like the special deals section and things like that. And that's not problems you can solve just by throwing huge amounts of money at it because it requires an actual liaison to exist at the publisher to be able to arrange that. And now, I just want to add on real quick. I'm not going to cut off Andy again. <laughs> um, that generally, if someone has these liaisons, it means they've been in business for a while. And if they've been in business for a while, there's a pretty decent chance that they're a legitimate company. Not always, not 100%, but if you know someone at Nintendo and you know someone at Steam, you know, and you know someone at GOG, and you can provably show this, generally that's a pretty good point of legitimacy. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, because otherwise, if, if the developer says, uh, oh, yeah, I'm interested, and then you say to him, yeah, I've got contacts at Nintendo, Sony, Steam, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, of course you have. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, how how do you prove that as a publisher? Uh, just track record, you know? It's like, if you have games on these systems and you have a following, and if, what I would say, if you're, if you're a developer and you're genuinely curious, reach out to the other developers who've worked with this publisher and be like, hey, are, are you happy? You know, what, what did they do right? What did they do wrong? And use that commentary from those developers yourself, because other developers are going to give you a far better image than a publisher <laughs> will of themselves. Just yeah, obviously, you know, it'd be the same way of 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 asking someone themselves versus like their friends or something. You know, it, it, it's just a manner of you. These other developers are willing to talk, um, and almost. All the time, if, for example, you see a developer that's happily going back to a publisher for repeat titles, it probably means that the publisher did something right for them. Um, if you see the developer often liking and retweeting stuff from a publisher, it probably means that the publisher is doing something right because it means that they don't want out of their deal, right? Um, you just got to be perceptive like that because you don't want to fall into a, a, a trap where you know, you get sweet-talked in, into something without fully understanding what you got sweet-talked into. Um, and much like the record in, you know, industry, that can happen here, where if someone's going to be like, oh, well, they might be doing all of that for you for free, but we're going to give you $100,000. And you're a new developer, and you're like, you know, oh boy, you know, $100,000, like, this is it. Like, this is my big break. Like, this is where... You know, I'm gonna have this big success because this is such a big amount of money. Sometimes that hundred thousand doesn't go very far because you know that's a hundred thousand that you aren't making in royalties. Um, yeah, and I, I kind of want to finish the point I was saying there and link that well, back sorry to about it. That. because, yeah, I mean, say a publisher might talk to you about solving those problems with curation and trying to get you placements on good placements on these storefronts and. They might say to you something like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll throw a marketing budget of like 50K, 100K or whatever at that. 
But like, as I was saying, those liaisons are something money can't buy. And mm. I will say, if it did buy it, that is bribery. That's very true. <laughs> That's a very so, good point. <laughs> yeah. So uh, w w w when money can't solve that problem, that money doesn't go very far. But the thing I will say is a publisher might just offer that anyway and just throw it at you if you're a developer because they know that 50k or 100k even though it's useless to you in achieving what you want hmm. is an expense of financial liability you've now accrued against them so the publisher knows now that you know that that money will basically not do anything but now the developer is indebted to them and that's a very sneaky business tactic, and I will say it does happen, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm, approach, I'm approaching this probably from quite a cynical point of view. You know, that's why my questions are all very... Well, well you're not wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> you're certainly, all, certainly correct. Well, they're all quite defensive because these are the questions that, you know, speaking to developers, they're all really suspicious and confused about publishers. And, and like, for me, I mean... And they should I'm not, I'm yeah, not involved in any. Yeah, well, absolutely. It's the way you don't get ripped off, isn't it? But I, I just, like I said, I'm neutral. I, I don't publish games. I don't develop games. Neither. So, I uh, just, what, I, what I would say is, be more suspicious of a company that wants to give you a lot of money than be, yes. than be suspicious of a company that wants to work very hard. Because if a company is willing to work very, very hard for you. It, then there's no way to like cheat someone out of that. Like if someone is saying we're willing to put in all this work for you for hours a week to be available to DM us anytime to do all of your technical work for free to manage all of your business relationships constantly, you know, to keep your games updated, to do all of this. And they're asking for that relative to a percentage of revenue there's a big difference between that and just how hard that is to, to, to cheat someone on versus being like, we're going to give you a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. So what should, what should a developer, I, I think the money, I mean, obviously it's going to be, I'm sure you have different deals for different developers and all sorts, but what should a developer be expected to, where should they, where should they be charged or pay? Is there is there an upfront fee they should pay to join you? Is there a not. revenue? <laughs> what? Yeah. what? Okay, good. So no upfront fees. So it, it, would you it, expect a normal sort of deal to be a uh, a profit split? Is that does that come off at the end? I mean, how does the financing work for a yeah. developer? So first off, it needs to any form of profit sharing should and needs to be laid out 100% in a clearly readable, understandable, and plain English way on a contract. If it's not plain English, then don't sign it. Like, if it does not say 50%, you know, to, to, to them, and then, like, 50% to the other person, if it doesn't say 70% to you, 30% to the other person, if it's in weird, small print, you know, whatever, just don't sign it it means that there's something wrong or it can mean that you just don't understand it and which you shouldn't sign it anyway. No, um, what about from your point of view? So flipping it over from a publisher point of view, how do you also not get ripped off from a developer uh, in the sense that you say to, so a developer comes to you and says, look, I've got a game here. I want you to publish it for me. And you say, that's great. We'll take a 
thirty percent split of your any profits you make, and you go, that's fantastic. Uh, they go off and develop it, but you do all the work, you do all the publicity, you get you know all your marketing done for them, you get them onto the store. How do you trust that they're going to finish the game and um, actually do what say they, yeah. they do what you know they do what they say they're going to do as well for, for you know same way so, it works the other way. There's no real specific answer to that because if there was, it would be unfair to the developers. We'll just say that. You know, if we're signing a game, I'm going to be completely honest, there's no real way of doing that while also being fair to a developer. And if you run into a contract where the devs are especially worried about that, I mean, the publishers are especially worried about that. My bad. Um, yep. That's scary because that means the publisher doesn't believe in your product. It means they don't think you're going to be able to finish it, which you should then question, why are you even talking to me if you don't think I'm going to finish this game? So it's research both sides, isn't it? You've got to research the developer that you're going to be investing your time and money into and vice, vice versa. They're going to have to check, okay, is this publisher the real deal? Can I speak to other developers that have used this publisher and you're both kind of doing the same checks yeah. on each other yeah yeah exactly yeah, it's, and, about, it's about building up awareness and then having the confidence that you can trust in what you've signed after that because as joe said like to to try and police what a developer does i don't think is fair like it's just really not fair because at the end of the day if you're going into a deal to publish a game and you know you're going to make money on it and you want to make as much money as possible by making it successful the least you can do is at least trust the developer to deliver it hmm. so i mean it's exactly what joe said like if the contract is already written in a way that suggests that that the publisher suspects the game won't be finished then inherently what is the point in the contract absolutely absolutely yeah and i mean i'll say that you know Different levels of business mean different things. If you're dealing with a $50 million AAA product, which is on a deadline because you're a AAA studio working directly with a you know a big company, obviously their contracts are going to be a little bit different than if you're working on a $100,000, $200,000 budget with a AA. Or you know, if you're just working on a more realistic budget, um, like you know, whatever that may be, then, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously you should expect a different level of contract. If someone's trying to give you a AAA contract for something that doesn't resemble a AAA budget, you should be questionable because, you know, it, it, it just doesn't make sense from a logical perspective. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, so, well, so, at, so your company, Top Hat Studios, yeah. you develop and you publish games now yeah. that that brings up two two thoughts for me is does that either do two things does that help the fact that you understand what it's like to be a developer so you know the problems and the worries that they go through because you do that as well or does it mean that you are possibly distracted from from publishing my game because you're you're busy working on your own games how how do you how do you sort of weigh that up 
Yeah, so I mean, that's a pretty good question. And um, I mean, we're glad that you're asking it from a cynical perspective. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I think that that definitely helps and how we can answer it. Um, when it comes to publishing it versus developing, I'll say different developers obviously have different needs. And we work on a very tailored system to developers. Like some developers want a very hands off approach of, here's our game, port it to consoles, and then, you know, we can be friendly, but we're mainly just looking for you to port the game. Other developers are like, we're going to send you builds on a regular basis. Can we have feedback? Can we, um, you know, can we, can we have feedback at every stage? Can you help us with design decisions, et cetera? We don't, de we don't demand that stuff or, you know, ever. It's just that some developers want that. They want a full QA team on top of um the other services being offered and what i'd say is you know there's no way that if we offered you a contract that says we're going to do all of this and then we don't do it that the contract would ever be held up you know as yeah. he's mentioned we're we try to be as fair as humanly possible in everything that we do here. It's really the point of our company. And we write in our contracts that if we fail to deliver on our obligations, then the contract is terminated. And, you know, obviously it's a little bit more complicated than that. It's not just that sentence alone. <laughs> that's the, you know, that's the, the air of what it, of what it means. And there are certain qualifications to that, you know, like in case someone gets sick, you know, what that means on timeline. But, you know, if we wouldn't put that in the contract if we didn't plan on actually fulfilling the obligations that, again, we write out in plain English, like, we will market the game on this budget. You know, we will help with QA when sent builds. We will send or answer all messages within, you know, X period of time upon receiving them. Like those are pretty clear cut obligations, and yeah. you know if we don't fulfill them, then we or if we didn't think we could be able to fulfill them, we wouldn't put it in the contract. And we try to be as specific and as non abstract as possible there. Um, so, so I guess would you? Okay, so do you? Well, a couple of questions. Do you look for specific game types to to publish or or? Or are you open to any game that just sort of? I mean, how do you pick? Do you do you pick developers, or do they pick you? Do you say no to certain genres, or how does that work? I mean, it's basically a combination of everything. Like, um, if a game is good, then it then it's good, regardless of how it comes to us. So, you know, in some cases, it can be a developer approaches us because they've. Um, They've seen a game we've published previously they like, or they've talked to a mutual developer contact who said to get in touch. Other times, there just happens to be stuff that appears on Twitter or something like that that's really nice looking. And I will say one of the benefits we have from having started as like a grassroots like indie development company ourselves is... We're very familiar with kind of like the communities that exist around like indie game development. So it's a very kind of like holistic, uh, kind of like native grassroots familiarity we have with how these games um, 
you know, are made, but also how like communities spring up around them and like how they spread on social media. So uh, like I'm at least very experienced in spending time in those communities because it's literally what I used to do, uh, making my own games and things like that. So, you know, it, a game can come to our attention by any manner of ways. And like, if a game is good, it's good. As I said, it doesn't matter yeah. what genre it's in. Like, uh, we publish okay. everything from like um, farming simulators to like steampunk Metroidvanias. So, yeah, yeah, I understand. It doesn't really make any difference to, to what it is because if you've worked with a developer before and they've changed genre completely, then you're still happy to work with that developer because of the you know what you're getting, don't you? Yeah, I, like at the end of the day, it's more important about the relationship you have and if that's productive. Like um, yeah. if everybody's happy and confident and wants to continue the relationship, then, you know, that's obviously a positive thing to continue doing. Okay, well, okay. on a more positive note, um, if a developer wants to get in contact with you, I mean, I assume, you know, yourselves or any publisher, I'm, I'm assuming here that you'd be open to have, okay, maybe not a Discord conversation like this, but just a conversation with the developer to just discuss where they're at, what they're doing. Is that the best way they would start? Yeah, I, I mean, we try to be as open as possible in that regard. You know, we, we leave our DMs open on Twitter. If you have an email, we can reach out to, you know, our Discord server has a public link and we're active in it. We don't like hide away on our own Discord. Um, yeah. And if a developer is interested, I mean, we typically recommend they send an email or they DM us saying, you know, what they're looking for, what their game's like, um, and what stage it's currently at. And it doesn't just have to be a game which is still in production. You know, we've worked with a lot of games that are finished, but they're only on PC, and we can help extend the game's reach to consoles right. by yeah. doing the porting. And, you know, those deals work the same way. We we still handle the porting for free. We we never charge anyone for these things. Um, well, one question I did have from from a developer is that they were worried about should they have anything in place before they contact oh, you? Like, I, like... Sorry, no. I think I know what what you're talking about. I think that was a reply to the tweet uh, you put out about the show. I yeah. think someone asked like. If they already had like a Steam page or an itch page, would that affect their relationship with a publisher or how they pitched? Yeah, they were saying like, should they have a trademark in place about things? What if they've already started all this publishing stuff but weren't really sure where to go? You know, would yeah. you say, oh well, no, you're too late there. Sorry. So, so I would say, like, if a developer has been doing that kind of thing, like they already have a Steam page up, they've announced their game, or like it already has a following. If they talk to a publisher who has a problem with that, it's honestly not a good publisher. Right. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah, well, I mean, but that's, that's exactly that's the answer they want. The simplest that, that we can make it. I mean, if you show that you're dedicated to your game and you're doing all the right things, like you're putting out a demo, you're attracting an audience, you're engaging with communities, there shouldn't be any reason that a publisher is, is against that. Perfect. Yeah, like the only reasons why a publisher might object to that is if they're looking to assert control over it themselves, in which case they're not a good publisher either. 
so the so the question <laughs> kind of answers itself both ways. Yeah, of course. Okay, well, what about? Is there any sort of side of publishing that that is changing? So, is there like like for instance, let's let's talk about um, use of like content creators, streamers, YouTubers, um, any sort of influencers in any way? How do you? How do you manage that sort of side? Is that a changing field for you guys? Is that something you're looking into more and more? Is it changing anything? So that's a good question. And I, I kind of touched on this a little bit in my big rant earlier, <laughs> which I apologize for, where I kind of mentioned that the role of publishers 10 years ago versus now has been yeah. a kind of evolving chronology. And one of the things I would say about that is Things may change in practice, but in concept, they tend to be the same. Yeah. So, like, sorry, Joe, just before you go on. No, you, you can go. Yeah, uh, no, I was going to say, this is exactly the concept of what I was talking about with regards to curation. Like, content creators and streamers and like being able to like work with them, it's all about curation of, of the game and being able to get that out to people who essentially can curate it on your behalf to their audiences mm -hmm. um and again it's a, a a a publisher who has good relations like that is something that in a lot of circumstances may be worth than just strictly money alone um sorry joe you can go ahead i just wanted to add that no i mean i think that what i was going to say was you know basically just a, a parallel or a mirror to that um which is that that stuff is very important. And one thing that often comes up, I'm not sure if this is actually a question that you might have, so it, it, this would lead into <laughs> that, um, is often why should I work with a publisher when I can just get a marketing agency or like a PR <laughs> firm? That was one of my questions in, I think, one of my last streams I asked that question, so <laughs> this would be interesting. Um, and this is actually the, the question which we answered you on, on Twitter about. Oh, well, oh, well there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, but this is very, this basically is the same conversation because a press firm can, you know, generally claim like to do, oh, well, we can put you in touch with, with influencers or we can get you in touch with press. And to their credit, they generally can. It's not that they're offering anything bad. They, you, they almost always do actually fulfill what they're actually doing. And, you know, for some developers, that's great. Like for some developers, you might need a press firm instead of a publisher, as we said on Twitter. Um, sometimes you don't need a publisher. Sometimes you really do just need to go with a press firm and have them handle that for you. However, as we mentioned, there's limits to what press firms can do. Press firms can't be a liaison for deals. Usually they can't help with business development and they're also expensive. They're, they tend to be quite expensive. Um, you know, you might be able to get someone who can send out a press blast for a few hundred dollars, but think about, you know, what a press blast is going to do versus a more tailored business development um, plan. And sometimes when it comes to that, if a publisher is just doing that, like that's all they're offering you is, you know, we're going to hire a marketing firm on your behalf then yeah, I mean, you probably don't have a reason to go with said publisher. Um, what really comes in there and what a publisher should be doing 
and what we do is we offer these additional tailored services and we don't charge them or put them as a liability to developers. So that means not only are we handling the marketing, but we're also doing the localization. We're also helping with QA. We're obviously, you know, the biggest one is we're doing all the porting. We're going through the certifications. We're getting the marketing set up with these distributors. Um, to you know, reinforce what I said before, we're doing all of the correct SEO and all that stuff. Um, and you know, there's lots more that 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 I could go on and talk about. And sometimes that's needed in addition to funding. You know, some games do genuinely need funding, especially if um, they need it over, uh, a, you know, just a portion of time. Sometimes to pay contractors. Uh, sometimes for, you know, asset creation. So, you know, sometimes we do, we do do funding on, on, on our end. Um, however, you know, a lot of times we talk with people and we're like, well, what's the funding going to go for? And a lot of it almost ends up being in these similar categories anyway. And then we're like, oh, okay, well, we're just going to cover that anyway. And then, you know, then it just t- turns out that they actually don't need funding because we're just going to cover the services they were going to use in funding for regardless. Um, and that happens sometimes. So, you know, that's what I'd say there is the difference that is there also kind of comes back to what a developer needs, but also can just be, you know, think hard about and make those comparisons on business models and such. Okay, well, so, I mean, we've, we've been talking for about an hour now, ignoring the uh, technical issues at the start. Um, actual on, on brand here, we've been talking for about an hour. So, from just this conversation that we've had now, if you if you remember that I knew nothing about publishers, I didn't know what you what you did, why I would need one, nothing at all. But already, for me, if I was if I'm a developer and I'm creating a game that I'm serious about and I actually want to make it my career and turn it into you know my my life, my my, my job, then I would definitely want a publisher. Well, I say publisher, I would definitely like to to work with you guys because I am I am I am confident in everything you've told me. Um depending on the small print, I've got to check that first. Now <laughs> I know that's it. Um, yeah. but but uh, so this is what you know I encourage developers to do. You need to speak to publishers. You need to speak to other developers and find out who who is recommending them. I mean like for instance you guys were recommended um to me by by our good friend Skull, who uh, Skull Labs, who is everywhere on the internet, um, which automatically puts me, you know, puts me at ease when when you've got someone you sort of like and trust in a community that saying, hey, you know, you should check out check out these guys because they're great. Then that's the way forward, isn't it? And already I'm thinking, well, okay, so I know how you'd help me. Um, I know what I should be looking out for, and I'm not even a developer. Yeah, like, uh, you know, we definitely really appreciate, you know, we really appreciate you saying uh, that you, uh, that what we're saying really resonates and I guess is understandable as well, because that's at the end of the day, I, I guess the really important thing we wanted to talk about is that a lot of publishing businesses are very opaque, and that's not a good thing, like, Knowledge is always the number one weapon anybody can have, especially if they're trying to, you know, aspire to reach new heights and things like that. So 
it really is a case of a developer really needs to arm themselves with as much knowledge as they can uh, to network as well as they can, because that's just the way they kind of like make sure they're on good footing to know exactly what they need and like how to go about it. Yeah, and that's where that's where a lot of developers struggle because you know it is hard because they're learning. So, like I said earlier on, they've got so much to deal with, and I I think a lot of a lot of developers maybe don't realise the gravitas of the scale of what they're setting themselves up for. You know, they think I'm just yeah. going to make a game. This is cool. I love this. And what yeah. they've actually started yeah. is a massive turn of events that they're not even aware of and they might be six months into development and then they i mean i i see it now you know I, they've been developing it for a year they've never told anybody yeah and like no. you know <laughs> that, that's understandable and it's, and it's all about what someone wants to achieve you know if someone's making a game because they just really enjoy making that game for the hell of it then yeah. that's okay if that's what they want to do and if you know they then just want to get the game onto consoles or something like that we've talked to people who are like that and then we just help them get it onto console publish it there and everything's good and happy but uh on the other hand like yeah like it's really important i think to think about the future especially when you're trying to pivot yourself towards having like indie gaming as a career and i will say you know, we're always available to talk. I mean, it's why our DMs on Twitter are open. If any developer out there is interested in having a few words, they can drop a message anytime. We have that email address as well, uh, the Discord server, because really we think publishing publishing doesn't need to be as opaque as it is. Like, it, it's always that, it always comes down to the thing that like knowledge is the best weapon. So if you don't know something or if you're wondering about something, just come and have a word, like come and have a word and arm yourself with the knowledge. That's the best thing you can do. Yeah. I mean, if, if, I mean, if you're going to drop a, a message to a couple of publishers, you can pretty much tell from the first reply, for, you know, what someone's going to be like. I mean, I, again, because I talk to, a, going the other way, I talk to a lot of developers and some of the replies I get, are wonderful and friendly and lovely you think oh wow I, I automatically want to talk to that person more and some replies i get i'm thinking jesus christ <laughs> you know but that's true that's what it's like yeah, so yeah. i mean if, if you if you guys reply and say hey thanks for getting in contact you know uh yeah let's talk you think oh okay great it already puts you in the right frame of mind but if you reply saying what then there's a flag for you straight away, isn't it? It's, a, it's an easy test straight away. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, exactly. Before, before we sort of wrap up here, because we've gone, we've gone past the hour, even though there's no time limit on this, but um, is there anything you want to mention about Top Hat Studio? Is there, is there something? So tell us about your studio. Tell us a bit more about, about your company. Um, is there any like particular developers or projects that you're looking, you'd like to look at or styles or anything you, you'd be interested in getting involved in? We're really looking to work with people who are, uh, I mean, I guess it's kind of a bit typical at this point to keep saying it, but really genuine indie grassroots developers who want to basically broaden their game's reach onto kind of like these gatekeeped platforms like consoles. Um, because I will say, like, 
that there's so much potential an indie game can have on a console. And if it's made with love, it's made with skill, it's made with heart, then, you know, we, we can work with that. Uh, it doesn't have to be in any particular genre, and it doesn't even have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be trying to do anything amazingly new or innovative. It just needs to be made, you know, with skill and love to it. So that's basically all it really comes down to. And anything a developer needs, we're basically open to talking about because, you know, as Joe mentioned, it's not a one size fits all when it comes to indie stuff. Like the no. reason indie stuff is good is because it's all different. And, <laughs> yeah. It's so random. Uh, yeah. And at the moment, we're working with quite a, you know, quite a really great bunch of developers who are all different. Like one of the games we're working with currently is a really amazing hand-animated adventure RPG game uh, coming out of India, actually. Wow, okay. That's not, that's not a market that I've seen a lot of games from myself. Yeah, exactly. So we're open to working with everybody as long as you've got something we can see that you really put your heart into making. And I will just say that I know Andy didn't mention it. Uh, we do PC as well. <laughs> we're not we're not only on console. It's just that <laughs> yeah. we we tend to find that console is a because of you know what the PC market is kind of like these days versus console. That console does sometimes have a little bit more of a pull to it, um, especially just in terms of the access market, in terms of sometimes sales. But, you know, um, we are willing to do all of that porting, all the technical certifications, et cetera, for you. So that's why we just talk about it a little bit more often than, than we do PC. Yeah, no, that's got what crap. I want to I I make a game now just so I can sign up with you guys. <laughs> yeah, that would be quite awesome, actually. <laughs> um, right, okay, so why don't you give us all your, all your links, all your socials? Where can people get in contact with you? Where should they find out more information about you? All of that stuff. Yeah. So our Twitter is at Top Hat Studios EN. Uh, I believe we have a Facebook as well, uh, which I think is just Top Hat Studios. Mm -hmm. And then our website is just tophat.studio. Okay. So pretty well, I'll simple link URL. <laughs> yeah, I'll link it all in, in the show notes anyway. Um, and then I'll publish this to YouTube and put some fancy gameplay over the top or something, just so uh, there's another avenue of uh, of reach there. Um, so, is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like to go over? Hmm. I, I, I guess I guess there is one thing that we didn't get to to say um, mm -hmm. earlier, which I just really want to reiterate at the end. Um, one thing that we found the behavior from some publishers, especially recently, we won't name any names. Um, is publishers who feel the need to intervene to censor content on behalf of a developer. And no publisher should be touching anything that has to do with an IP unless it's for a, you know, a good reason. Like, unless it's because of an ESRB rating, which is, you know, which is basically the only reason that should ever be done a publisher should never be modifying the IP of a developer, especially one that they don't have any ownership over. Right. Okay. Um, and I think that's one thing we want to just 
say because I didn't get a chance to say that earlier. And... Yeah, no, that's a good point because I think developers would be worried about the publisher sticking their nose in, as it were. Yeah, the only valid reason a publisher should ever do that is to recommend something to stay within an ESRB rating. Of course. If it if it's not related to a rating, there is no reason that a publisher should be telling a developer what they can and can't put in their game. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's becoming a bigger and bigger issue lately, especially because I, I think I'm, a lot of publishers know the practice isn't popular. Like, of course, censorship is not popular. So you do see it put in rather strange terms these days. And I think it's important for developers to know how they can catch these terms. And uh, I think from what we've seen lately is it can be topics like uh, the game has been adapted to suit the cultural norms of a specific audience or something okay, like yeah. that. Yeah. Like that's just censorship and it's nonsense. And a publisher should not be intervening in someone else's creative intellectual property. Uh, I don't think that's right. Yeah. Well, well, the good thing is with all these, um, I don't want to say dodgy publishers, but dodgy publishers, um, it's a great opportunity for you guys to sort of show show what you can offer, and it and it they're almost making the market for you, aren't they? Because it's just opening up for opening up the market for good guys like yourselves to sort of say, well, this is how it should be done, and we're going to show you how it's done, and that's the, an awesome place to be at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We we definitely want to try to be the model or ideal in that regard because we genuinely care about developers and about this sector that we that we work in. And you know, I have been doing this since I was in high school, like like just as a hobby. And I, me and Andy both got into this position not because we have money to throw around and buy our way into the industry but through genuine years of hard work and hardly making connections and working hard and reinvesting money that we've made by working within the industry um and leveraging that and we genuinely want to other people to be in that same position and away from these tactics, which are so unfriendly to developers or so unfriendly to just people coming into the industry or who want to make games. And there's so many ideas and there's so many creative people out there who are just one step away from getting their game to be even a moderate success. And we genuinely want to help those people. Um, and we aren't just going to do it by throwing as much money as possible and hoping that fixes a problem. You know, we want yeah. to be, you know, next to a developer, be a guiding force, um, provide them the resources and access that, that they need to make their games a success. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, no, yeah, sorry. sorry. No, no, no. Sorry. Carry on. Carry on. Right. right. I was going to say, yeah, we're very, we're very proud of what we've accomplished so far and how we deal with things like um it's it's a really satisfying feeling to be able to help a lot of these people who are basically working on their own dream games and helping to guide them to basically 
achieving the next level with their games. And the way I always put it in comparison to like a lot of the larger publishers or other publishers people have experiences with is, you know, we're a completely self-owned, independent, employee-owned company. So the thing I say is no shareholders, no problem. So there's no (laughs) shareholders constantly. Yeah constantly hanging about being like oh you've got to improve your profit margins or whatever on your own company or or stuff like that so we can focus entirely on working with great games instead of just maximizing our own bottom line you're you're a you're probably an indie publisher for an indie developer aren't you yeah i mean one thing i just wanted to add on to that real quick is that you know we're actual people as uh, as as well which is (laughs) helpful because you know it means that we get developers who add us on discord who will just send us messages over at random times asking for help and we can just respond because we're not like oh sorry you got to wait a week for me to be back in the office you know like we'll just respond and be like here you know sure like you know it it doesn't matter that it's like 10 p.m or that it's 1 a.m or well, you know, I can that, just see that, the tweets I sent. You know, I just put a random tweet out there, and we start the conversation. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, exactly. Perfect. You know, we want to be really that ideal model for people who need that yeah. that guiding force to, toward their success. Like, it literally can be that easy. That, that, that there's just no. I, I feel like I'm repeating something I said earlier, <laughs> but it's a good point. Like. There's no reason it needs to be so mysterious or opaque when it comes to publishing matters. Like, in, in indie games are very personal experiences, both to people who play them and the people who make them. And when someone who's making something like that is looking for another group to be entrusted with that and to make it a success... That's a pretty significant thing. So it's only right that the conversations about it can be transparent and can be open and can be readily had. And, you know, I think Joe touched upon this as well. Like, neither of us come from backgrounds which are, like, extremely entrenched or establishment. Like, neither of us... (laughs) You, you know, had 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 connections or contacts which were like already in the industry and and relied on those to pull us in. Nothing like that. We, yeah. we got here because of the way we work with people and that working. So, you know, we're not people who are like MBAs from like Harvard or Yale who are interested in like running like a corporate business or just wanting to increase profitability or margins or things like that. It genuinely is about indie games. And I know I can say that because lots of other publishers say that who don't mean it. Before I was working on games, actually, I used to, by my education and trade, believe it or not, I am actually a composer. I don't have a background in programming or like business. But Mm -hmm. uh, when I was a composer, I was doing a lot of work for like... um, Hollywood studios, media studios, doing like library music or stock music. And that's, you know, that's the kind of music they cut up and put on trailers that go on YouTube yeah, yeah. or like banner ads. Sounds and a lot, of, 
yeah, a lot a lot of the skills I built up there are pretty directly transferable to video games. But the nuance there, I would say, is having w- 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 spending enough time in those kind of like media circles and like just seeing the deals going on and everything. It, 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 it's it's enough to really alienate a man for the rest of his life. <laughs> so as you can tell by the fact I'm here, I don't do Hollywood work anymore. <laughs> no. you've, um, uh, you've upgraded. Yeah, <laughs> at least I, I like to think so. But I, you know, and, and, and it's just, a lot, a lot of the kind of Hollywood accounting or Hollywood economics is not good. Like it's, it's not good. It doesn't benefit anyone except like shareholders, or kind of like these pretentious executive, like asshat people who who float around in these kind of like circles where they go to like fancy, fancy, uh, fancy like networking events, yeah. closed door events to pat each other on the back. Yeah, so you've been around the industries that you know that you don't want to be like, so yeah, you know how to avoid it, that. Exactly. Exactly. And in, in, in my view, if at the least we can maybe try to stop video games being a little bit like that, then it's worth it. Because, I don't know, you could make a huge amount more money being like everyone else, but I'd feel sick if we were. Yeah, and I mean, on my end, right, my background is in software engineering, and it's also in business. Um, but, you know, there's lots of things. Like, I could go and work for a bank if I wanted to make a ton of money or something. But I'm not just in it for money. Uh, you know, I mean, I obviously need money to live, as does everyone else. But it's not my reason for being here. I'm passionate about what we do it's why i started top hat studios it's why i've stayed by it as it's evolved for almost like six years now um from an outsourcing company into what what it is now and you know i'm happy to stay around with it and see it grow um because i'm not just in it because it's a position to fill uh, i'm in it because i'm to have genuine interest and passion for what we do yeah i, I can understand that like i said i'm in the same situation I don't make any money making podcasts. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, well, one one day, who knows? You, you'll who knows? Be in a position to rival Joe Rogan and the like. <laughs> right. So, games. What are you developing at Top Hat Studios? What you, what we've got to look forward to? What's coming out? Yeah, I'll say we can't talk about our internal projects as much. Um, okay. We also can't talk about certain games we haven't announced yet <laughs> all right um, well, anything you can talk about what's coming out <laughs> uh, as far as far as upcoming games people look forward to um synergia and sense of cyberpunk ghost story both of which have been long awaited on consoles uh those are both coming over the next two months um to all major consoles uh with the exception of next gen which will follow a little bit later um okay. And who's that, that? Is that developed developed by a, a developer or yourself? Yeah, yeah. So both of these games are by developers. Uh, Synergia okay. is by Raddy Art, and uh, Sense is by Suzuku. Uh, mm-hmm. We we handled the porting for for these games though, right? Um, much okay. like other ones. <laughs> um, as far as other games we have coming out, 
people look forward to. Um, Sansai by Two Odd Diodes. We'll have a little bit more information for soon. That's a game which, as Andy mentioned, is entirely hand-drawn. A uh, very beautiful-looking game, and we're really excited about that one. Um, Ova Magica by Claudia. Um, Claudia, the developer, is, I think, the tag that she's going by. I don't think she has a company name established yet. Um, that's like a mix of Harvest Moon and Pokemon. Um, we'll have more oh, wow. information <laughs> on that soon. Uh, we have lot, lot, lots of other games coming as well. Laser is an action platformer by Garrett Kempsey. Um, Steam Dolls is by the Shady Gentleman that we just ran Kickstarter for that over the summer. Uh, that okay. features voices by David Hayter, and um, it's like a grimy Metroidvania. So we have lots of games for everyone coming wow. out, and we have we have the the thing is we have lots more, but we can't talk about all of them. For sure. Well, the ones we have spoken about, will if you send me the links, and I'll drop links in all in the show notes, so people can go and check out the stuff you've been working on and porting, and so they can actually see what what you've been doing. So we'll do sure. that. Yeah, uh, and also, it's great. interesting that you said that you also help i didn't even think about it to be honest you also help with kickstarter campaigns I, I would i would have thought that was kind of against what you're trying to do is that not just well that's an interesting point actually because i will say and this is related actually tangentially to the thing also about a developer should think about mm-hmm. really how much resources or money they actually need because uh you know, it's it's a little bit of a trap because often, like a developer who might not know too much about how the industry works, or maybe they're developing their first game and are maybe just a little bit naive, uh, they might ask for as much money as possible they think they can get. Yeah. And as Joe said, it might not actually be what they need. And there are cases quite often, unfortunately, where a publisher might encourage the developer to take even more money than they need, simply because that then becomes like a financial liability the developer has to pay back. Absolutely. I will say on a tangent to that again, that's the reason why you hear about so many developers who make these really fantastic games, which maybe go on to sell a few hundred thousand copies, but then they complain they never earned a penny from it. Because they're having to pay back the publisher's dodgy fees, yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, well, so that's what I mean when I say, if you're a developer, really think hard about the amount of money you want to ask for and accept. Because well, it always makes me... Sorry, sorry. It, it, with Kickstarter, it's always seemed to me, it, I mean, from the outside, I wouldn't do a Kickstarter because it seems like, 10 times more work than than anything i mean like oh, when they give it away t-shirts and like, prints if it, oh my god it looks I mean, like I, a nightmare yeah like, I, I think i think that there's a few aspects of that right when we help run kickstarters for developers it's often in cases where developers need large amounts of funding but we feel we can structure it in a fairer way because I'll be honest, as we mentioned, even though we can do internal funding, we don't prefer it. We'd prefer for pe- for developers to have their own incomes, you know. And it's not that we do anything regarding fees, but you know, we do we can't just give away money, <laughs> right? No. Um 
so we, we do a one-to-one recoup on, on, on that. But we'd prefer not to even do that and just have developers get their revenue directly. And, you know, in our cases, if there's a Kickstarter, uh, we've ran lots of Kickstarters for developers. We have lots of experience in what makes a Kickstarter successful, when to do it, how to promote it. And if they need something like, you know, $30,000, it's easier for us to spend on our end internally the marketing and advertising for the Kickstarter, but which we don't take a recoup on. But then on their end, they can also get the money directly to them without having to worry about any additional complications or anything yeah. like that. And, you know, we'll help with fulfillment. We'll help with that. We don't take anything from the Kickstarter besides just asking for the amounts needed to actually fulfill the said fulfillment. Um, and it tends to be a, you know, an all around good, good model because on their end, they get what they need. There's no complications, you know, there's nothing. And on our end, um, a little bit easier for us to coordinate a campaign than write a, a little bit more complicated of a contract, you know, really, really related to funding. Yeah. Cause the thing I will say is that comes back to the point about, um, basically having flexibility. And, uh, you know, it's, it's different sizes for different developers uh, and people want to work in different ways. Because I will say there are a lot of developers who who'd want actively to keep their expenses low, like they don't actually want an advance because they, you know, they, want, they don't want to have to deal with, as Joe said, the complications of having to deal with maybe like a recoupable or something like that but they would still appreciate having some extra funds. So that way, like working with Kickstarter is we can connect them directly to an audience and we don't take any percentages or any cut out of that Kickstarter. So, nice. they, so they keep all of the funding they raise on Kickstarter themselves. So that's a way for them to not only get the money they need, but get the money they need in a way that doesn't give them a burden of having, yeah. you know, like a recoupable now to earn back. Yeah, they're not worried about it, thinking, "Oh no, what, you know, how's this going to affect my publisher deal or whatever." It's completely separate, really, isn't it? You're just helping them get it going. Yeah, exactly. Okay, all right. Well, I think that's well. There's, there's probably tons and tons I could keep asking, um, but we'll we'll bring it to a close there. Um, but I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. I think this has been amazingly helpful um, for, for developers. And I would encourage any developers, if you've got any more questions, you know, send them in um, to myself or to uh, um, Top Hat Studios. Um, and if we keep getting recurring questions coming up, maybe we can get you guys back on to to attack those as well in the future. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, we really appreciate being here and we'd be happy to be back at some point. Fantastic. All right, well, um, like I said, thank you very much for joining me. Um, and until next time, we'll see you later. All right, thank you very much. You have a good thank, night. Thank you. And there we go. A huge thank you to Andy and Joe for joining us. That was, I think it was a brilliant chat and there was so much information there. Um, I would love to know if you're a developer and you're listening, did any of that help you? Are there any unanswered questions that we can go over again? Because as Joe and Andy said, you know, they would love to come back and 
continue to help and, and answer questions. So let's make the most of it. If you've got questions that we didn't cover, and we've already thought of a few questions that we'd love to cover, but the episode was running quite long already. So we decided to, to stop it where it was. Um, so please let me know if that's helped you out. I would love to love to find out. So you can email the show, indiegamiacs at gmail.com. You can DM me on Twitter, indiegamiacs, whatever you like, really. And like I said in the interview, I, I was actually really impressed with these guys. And I would personally, again, this is not me telling you to do anything, but I would personally feel very happy at talking to them and seeing if they could help my game if I if I had a game. I would still do my research, like they said, still talk to the other developers, and they're very open to that, which is a great sign. Um, I will be speaking to some more publishers and more industry people on this season. Again, I, I'm still flipping between season and series, but I, I think I'm going season. I think I've decided. So as we enter season two of the podcast, just want to again say thank you for all the support after season one, and thank you for all the reviews that I got. I think we had 11 in total, 12 in total in the end, which is fantastic for only 20 episodes. So if you haven't left a review, please, 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 please do. Um, and speaking of that, usually the reviews are on Apple only because iTunes is the only place you can really review podcasts generally. So um, until now, that is. And we had a review on Podcast Addict. So if you're on Android and you use Podcast Addict, you can actually leave reviews there now, which is brilliant. And that's exactly what Bob of the Dead did for us. So he left a five-star review, and I'll just read it out quickly for you. He says, Really enjoyable interview series with developers of indie games. The enthusiasm of the developers for their games can be infectious, and it's really interesting to peek behind the curtain. The host, Richard, that's me, speaks confidently and clearly. He clearly has a good knowledge of the indie scene and uses that to ask on-topic questions beyond his well-put-together base set. If you have any interest in indie games or game development, you'll enjoy this. Highly recommended. So thank you so much, Bob of the Dead. That's really kind of you. I love reading these. And let's say just as well as it helping algorithms and discovery, I just love reading the fact that people are enjoying it. So if you are enjoying it, please, please let me, let me know. Um, of course, you can just message me, but via a review is not only nice, but it's also helpful. So uh, thank you so much, Bob. I really appreciate it. Okay, well, I'm aware that this has already been a long episode. So let's uh, bring this to a close now. Thank you so much for downloading and listening and sharing and all the awesome stuff that everybody's been doing for me. And I'll see you in episode number two. Goodbye. <laughs>